1: when uh when was the last time you roamed and played with dinosaurs
2: oh man dinosaurs been a while because uh, the last few times i went to a museum was in florence and we really don't deal much with dinosaurs there a lot of arts but uh not dinosaurs so i need to go to a natural science you're thinking about a night at the museum or something like that?
1: exactly you bring your own uh... You bring your, you bring own, your own, own dinosaur, in, and you, you ride, you ride the pterodactyl around. <laughs> I don't know. There, there seems to be a movie that's similar to that at the moment as well. Yeah. but but if you think about the the museum, it, it's all about these precious things that uh, have been well created at one point, collected at another, and are being shared with us, uh, thankfully by those who. Uh, Want to preserve them and uh, and give back to society, and there, there's a lot that goes on there, right, Marco?
2: There is a lot, and if you're t- if you're bringing me to a museum like Natural Science, I want to touch stuff. I want to touch the dinosaur, the T Rex, and everything. And I'm not sure they're going to allow me to do so, but. Probably, maybe. I don't know. I think even with the right pass, unless you are like <laughs> an expert, uh, they're not gonna let you touch it. And it's certainly not without globes, But there are other things you can experience, and still doing that into a really safe and secure environment. And we're taking all this wide angle here because uh, that—that's the idea we came up with um, with the creative for this conversation. Uh, with uh, with a good friend of ours, Sean. You want to introduce him? You want to invite him at the museum?
1: Let's uh, let's take a trip to the museum with our good friend Terry Ray from Imperva. Terry, it's good to have you on again.
0: Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Marco. It's always happy to uh, always happy to be back, and I-, I enjoy museums like everybody else.
2: There you go. Good, because we're going to talk about that today.
0: <laughs> gonna so- beat, sort of. We're going to beat that uh, that dinosaur to a
1: pulp, I think. No, but let's, um, I mean, we've had many conversations with you and and others from Imperva talking about uh, network security and uh, application security and data security and privacy most recently as well. And and the reason I went with the dinosaur, I mean, museums can house many things, but I went with the dinosaurs because I feel in some ways businesses operate like dinosaurs, especially when it comes to <laughs> comes to their data and, and managing access to that. And, and so today we're going to be talking about how to hopefully adequately secure data within the business in a way that, that the business uh, can continue to extract value from the information they have. And before we get there, though, Terry, uh, for those who haven't heard some of the previous episodes and don't know who... There he is a quick overview of your role there at Imperva and uh, and why this topic is so important right now.
0: Yeah, sure. You know, we, um, we I, I joined Imperva back in 2002 and the whole the whole mandate was let's protect data. Uh, at the time, it was also applications, as you said, right. You've had lots of conversations here on, on, on various facets there around it. But really what it comes down to is about paths to data and it's, it's it's why i tend to have these conversations is because i've been doing it since 2002 so i guess we're going on 20 years now of just focusing my time my effort my view and my conversations with customers and potential customers and and and, and personalities and things like that like yourselves just in the area of what i think is most important to organizations and what i think they mo- they think is most important which is the data or the, 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 the valuable asset that they t- tend to have regardless of what their business is.
2: So let's kick it in right away, uh, Terry, because we, we already brought a ton of metaphor to the table. And uh, and I remember even in the past conversation, we were definitely no short of creative ideas on how to present uh, the things that we want to talk about. But I, I think the most important thing right now is to start with what Sean just said. I mean, I really the businesses, the dinosaurs or, or, or let's put it this way you know what what are the main um, obstacle and, uh, the, the, and challenges that they face when it comes down to to data
0: Sure when it, when it comes to data when it comes to those, those that, that thing that every organization wants from all of us if it's you're checking out, they want your credit card number, your name, your address, billing address, all that kind of stuff. Everybody's always gathering data. If you're like me, you're trying to do a, a home equity loan, then they want everything about you, your, your whatever it is, but all of your financial information. If you're a doctor, then, of course, they want very different types of information. But at the end of the day, when, when, when we think about protecting data, when I think about what you need to do around data, really, it comes down to seeing and having eyes on the data. Right. It's, it's the same thing. Uh, you, know, you use the example of uh, of the museum, right? I need to understand if I'm going to protect a, a piece of art, if I'm going to protect a Fabergé egg or a dinosaur tooth or whatever it is, I can't do that unless I have somebody watching what's going on in the environment. I know I have to share. I know I have to share it. That's my whole business is sharing these lovely things with everybody who walks through my doors. But I have to do it in a way where I can make certain that the right things are happening, the right right policies and controls are in place. There's a fence around it in case somebody like Marco wants to go in there and touch that dinosaur too, because he's got to touch everything. There's glass in front of the Mona Lisa and, and a number of other things that happen. That's all the important stuff. And that's the most critical thing I find that you have to begin with. You have to begin with visibility. And that's the challenge that organizations have had over years is that so many organizations take data security as, uh, as, a, as, as, as a priority, but they only prioritize those things that they're, they are told are important. For example, if I use credit cards, then credit cards are important to me. All of the rest of my data might kind of be important to me, but really credit cards are the only thing I'm going to get a fine if I don't protect Everything else, it'll be a bad day, but at least I'm not going to get fined. So what happens? A lot of organizations will put the controls on where they know they're going to have an issue on those assets. If I bring it back to that museum idea, I need to put protection not just on those assets that I have out in the halls, but I took to my kids to, to France uh, earlier earlier this year. We went to the Louvre and i don't know what the statistic is but i think it's somewhere to 60 to 80% of all of the 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 assets in the louvre actually aren't out but if you don't think they don't have security on all of those assets wherever they're being stored i think you're you're probably wrong i'm certain they have security across all of the assets they have regardless of whether you happen to be walking by and looking at it or not and that's not the same to be it's not that's the same as you would see in an organization that says you know what? Credit cards are really all I care about, so that's what I'm going to secure. The rest of my environment can be the wild west. Don't care. And that's what we see in a lot of cases: is that dichotomy between what is critical to the organization in their opinion and everything else, and they only secure what they think is actually important.
1: And I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this uh, for a bit because, uh, as you're describing, the, the museum having assets that aren't on display—they're in in the, uh, the, the dark dungeons underneath the Louvre or wherever they are. Um, I'm just thinking about business information. The first thing that came to mind was uh, a retail operation where certain types of data and interactions and transactions look a certain way during the holiday season and they change during the summer for back to school. And, and I guess th- my point is there's different types of information, different types of metadata, different types of customers, perhaps, and all that context changes, right? Now, this may be may not be the exact parallel for a museum uh, example, but my point is, data looks different, different situations, different times, um, and I think organizations struggle with some of that as well, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean. The 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 way data is used, if you, if you if you, I had to put it in two big buckets, data is used by the users, right? Your customers, if you will. I mean, let's let's assume it's retail, right? So your customers that are going in, they're gonna go in through always, they're gonna go in through something that should be really understandable and repetitive they're going to go in through your application it does the same thing every day looks at things finds things buys things looks at things finds things buys things they may use apis and other pieces that sit out front because maybe they use their phone or they use a laptop or they use something else but at the end of the day to the repository of data in the back end where all that data sits the applications are actually Always the same. They may be a little busier or a little less busy, depending on the season, but what they do and how they do it is pretty much always the same. Now, that's not necessarily the case when you look at the back end of the other bucket of people and things, which are your applica- sorry, your, your DBAs. The, the actual managers of the data repository. And sometimes you even have business partners that might want some of that information. Maybe a little less so in a retail, but imagine manufacturing and all the B2B stuff that comes into it or healthcare. Yeah, I think of The supply that. chain, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So all of those pieces that go in, but it's all that back-end stuff that you have some level of implied trust with that you might feel, you know, I feel comfortable about those folks because I know who they are. Don't I know who they are? Well, the reality is, is you have no idea who they are. All you know is it's company XYZ and who's on the other end of that usually don't have a a, a big idea. The point is, is that level of it can actually change quite a bit on the back end as you have your own employees come and go. DBAs or database administrators or otherwise. You have consultants that come in and do a lot of that work. Maybe you have managed services and others. And of course, your partners, as I said, who do they have coming in that are consultants and their employees coming and going and other things. We've seen examples of breaches before. I won't name company names, but we've seen examples of breaches before where companies get attacked through portals that are trusted business partners, whether it's an HVAC portal or whether it's a Uh, a, a, a points portal or something else, depending on your business. And that's 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 the that's the change that I see happening quite frequently is is that is that back end area. Yet at the same time, so many businesses, as you mentioned earlier, have really invested in protecting that front end piece. Web application firewalls, network firewalls, intrusion prevention, all of these things pretty much the perimeter, that front-end piece of applications and APIs that frankly are the easier and less changing element of what accesses your data is pretty well protected these days if you've got the right technology. The back end is where it's still a bit of the wild west because organizations just haven't really prioritized it. And it's a little bit my wife is a doctor, right? So it's a little bit of a blood-brain barrier, right? Between the twos, nothing will ever, you know, pass, if you will, in many cases. And that If I'm a security engineer, I probably don't have a lot of experience in managing databases. If I'm a database administrator or engineer, I probably don't have a lot of experience in the understanding of security and the risks and consequences of security around data across all my data stores. And this is kind of the difference between what you see in the application and network world and security, they kind of all fit together. This database has always been a little bit of an outlier. For for everyone else, and that's that challenge of organizations to be able to bring those two functions together: security and the data owners, data security. To say we need to work together to make certain that we can see everything, understand everything in this tier of the organization, and the technology certainly exists to do all of that. But the the wherewithal, the driver, uh, you know, the cost can of course you know you know get get uh, get high up there as well. Uh, if there's not constant drivers behind it. And, and I'll leave you, I'll leave you one last point. One of the drivers behind that is of course, things like regulatory compliance and that's why they come about.
1: Yeah. And as you're talking, I kept going back to compliance and, and that's often the way that the controls are derived, I guess, and then, and then deployed. And sometimes we miss the mark with that, uh, based on what's really going on within the business, um, Focusing on the control to meet compliance may not actually address the risk. And I want to, I want to get into kind of this this insider threat view a bit uh, the the DBA versus the IT admin versus the uh, security admin or engineer. And and I don't know if I chose versus there uh, purposefully or not, but maybe it, it probably seems like that to them. And uh, I guess how do how do organizations? Because you get, the other word you used was visibility. And I'm wondering how organizations can get visibility across those different roles. Um, what are you seeing when you talk to customers, and how how are they talking about it, and and how are you helping them uh, get that visibility to c- overcome some of these challenges of the verses um, between the different teams?
0: I'll admit, traditionally, the vendors ourselves and others were were partially at fault for this uh, this gap. Uh, and the customers were were also a bit at, at fault for it, you know, in in the gap itself, right? So as, as I said earlier, right, the the customers would say, let's just let's just do what we have to. I need to be PCI, therefore I have some PCI servers. Let's protect those. I pick on PCI, but it could be any regulation. But I'm going to pick on these these. I'm going to cover these PCI servers, and that's all I'm going to do because everything else doesn't matter. But there's another reason why they would do that, and that's that's kind of on the vendors traditionally. The vendors, the technology. Behind data security, to, to gather that data to to get to gain that visibility meant that the vendor technology needed to be able to gather all of the activity that's happening in a in a large number of databases and bring that activity all into one place so that an organization could answer questions, do threat detection, incident response, and all of those things that security needs to do for the entire organization. But that meant that what it meant was that the organization, the vendors themselves needed to have technology that was scalable enough, modern enough, if you will, to be able to keep up with the modern technology that businesses were using. So giving you an example, right? So if I've got a business that has a 100 modern databases that can move data and accept data very, very fast, I, as a vendor, need to be able to bring the logs from all of that activity into my system Equally as efficient, if not better, and without more efficiency. Meaning if I've got 100 databases at an organization, the organization does not want to buy 100 things from, from me or any other vendor to go protect their 100 things. It can't be a one-to-one ratio. They want to really kind of look for one thing to protect everything. And that's that's really been the, the goal of data security for many years. But it it's been two decades, and we're only kind of just here now and that's where we are today right so that's that's how we're helping organizations today is to say visibility the need for visibility has not changed. You still need to be able to see what you're doing. It'd be wonderful. I know we use a lot of analogies here, but it would be wonderful if we were all a Jedi and I could block lasers with with my eyes closed and a blast shield down. That would be wonderful. The reality is we aren't. So we have to have our eyes open. I have to watch everything. And that's really where the technology has come to today. So today now what you see is you see what's now what used to be called Data activity monitoring or database activity monitoring was the acronym that you might use. Now, today, what you see analysts and people like ourselves talking about is data security platforms. And it's a platform that has that capacity that has been reimagined. If I could rebuild data security today, it would become this hyperscalable, horizontally scalable, infinite storage platform that says, we don't care how much data you have, how much volume you have. We can bring that in and rather than a one-to-one or one-to-ten ratio of how many things a customer might have, now it's a, a 400-to-one type of system. So it really has gotten to that point where it's easy for an organization to say, I really can monitor everything. I really can see everything. And if I can see everything, then ultimately I can protect everything.
1: And when, when you say everything, Terry, um, I'm thinking back to early days when I was when I was building a sim and we had, I'll just say it, agents sitting on a bunch of things. Maybe maybe they're remote sitting on things, but still things connecting to other things to collect logs. And it's whatever the log had, that's what we collected and we folded it in and, and prayed that there was some, some connection there as we began to aggregate and, and correlate all, this, all these data points. So when you say everything, I'm, I'm wondering, have, has that world changed? from a data security perspective, connecting to databases. Are we are we logging the right things? Are we providing the right interfaces to get the information we need from a security perspective? Or are we still limited to give me what you have and, and I'll pray that uh, pray that I have what I need to do do what I need to do to protect that information.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's go back to the museum idea, right? So museums have all kinds of fun stuff and things in them. Lasers we see on TV and all that kind of stuff when people aren't there and all that. But the one thing museums certainly have a lot of are a lot of cameras. And I equate the cameras that are that are wired that have to run wires everywhere. I can imagine that the difficulty of running wires in, in, in new buildings, much less really old buildings, which are typically museums. So trying to limit the, the visibility that you can get from a, a device that has to be connected to another device does limit the visibility. And if I bring that back to data security, that visibility was things like agents. In the past, we had to deploy, we being this industry of data security, to really be able to see what's happening on a database, we needed to store, install a, an agent. On the database, and that agent would do all the work. Because for me to ask a database to turn on the logs for a database, it's kind of like asking a Cisco router, if you're a network person, to just turn on all of the Cisco logging and just leave it on all the time so we can put it somewhere. It crushes the performance of the Cisco router, just like, and I'm picking up Cisco here, but any router. But it, it, it would do the same thing to a database if it's an older database. So agents had their place and still have their place, wired cameras, if you will, still have their place where it makes sense, where there are older systems and that and that and that technology is already there we can go look at mainframe and as400 and old versions of other databases and we would do that with an agent but nowadays there's also managed databases cloud databases uh, new modern databases in the cloud snowflake and all of those sorts of things all of them have the ability to turn on logs and look at everything and yet not really impact the database so the 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 message here and the, the point is the vendor technology our vendor technology has really kept up with that, to say we recognize there's a long tail of legacy platforms that an organization might say, I still have a lot of old stuff and I still need to monitor it if I'm gonna monitor everything, if I'm gonna look at everything, I still have to include all that. That's great. And we can have, we have an agent for all of that and we can still do all of that. But at the same time, that organization is certainly at least partially modernized. And for anything that's modern, you don't need an agent. So we go wireless, wireless cameras. Let's put those cameras all over the place wherever I want to whenever I need them and give me more visibility wherever I need to. And it doesn't impact anything. Same thing here in the database space. I can go and put in a, in a monitor it agentlessly, just pull the logs back from those data stores because they can log to their heart's content and fill up our system with all of the activity. What the resulting, uh, what results are is that we ultimately get full visibility, whether your databases are old or new, whether they're in the cloud or on-prem. And frankly, even since the last time we talked, it's not just about databases, it's also about file servers and S3 buckets in the cloud and on-prem and all of this. Being able to have all of that in one place means that you can now ask a question and be guaranteed you're gonna get an answer back. What did Terry do in my data? And I just don't want to have to worry about, was it in the cloud or on-prem or old or new? Just tell me everything Terry touched over the last 30 days because something happened. And for some reason, I'm looking at his behavior and I want to go see everything. And I don't want to have to go to two different places to find it and also find out that I, I, I couldn't detect or didn't have logging turned on to part of it because I didn't have a camera in that room. And that becomes a problem for me
2: yeah and uh, Terry, while we were talking to prepare for this conversation, I remember we spent quite some time into looking at the bank system and I feel like we've gone back to when the bank were just like easy to rub with you know horses and pulling out the, <laughs> the the windows and get inside but you didn't have camera at the time but but we went a, a long way. I mean, we started our metaphor with Cameras in the street of London, for example, and then from there we thought about, you know, a glass box with the bank. But but the issue with there is always that you brought up is when you learn about this, you look at the past. You're not you're not preventing anymore. You're just trying to see what happened back uh, in time, right? But the 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 goal is to kind of be able to get on it when something do happen so i remember you brought the example of the museum with the security guard that is sitting there so i'm thinking like now with artificial intelligence and new technology if you put your futurist hat on um number one are we much better placed than what we were you know 10 years 20 years ago i'm not going to go you know in the 1800 but and, uh, and and what do you think is next how is imperva addressing the future of security
0: yeah. Thanks. So I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, the 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 majority of the users, when you get close to the data, become very nervous when you start using words like prevention and blocking and you know this is their this is a core asset for them and even though they have blocking all already configured at their network firewall and web application firewalls and all of that as soon as you get to the back end at that data store being able to actually be able to say i want to stop somebody from doing something becomes a very different sometimes a more difficult conversation i will tell you that's coming up more and more frequently today It, it has come up in the past and it has been a factor in the past where customers have wanted to block. In fact, there've been some requirements on customers being able to block. There is the ability to do real-time monitoring and blocking of data. That's certainly there. It's just not as common because of organizations having a little bit of a fear as you get closer closest, closer, and closer to their most critical asset. Um, so the, the reality here is the future of this is to get even closer and closer to real-time while also being agentless, And the reason I say it that way is to be real-time, it means that I can't, it's your point, I can't just be collecting logs from somebody to be real-time because that, clearly that's after the, after the logs have come in. But using an agent or even using other technology, there are ways that we can either get between the user and the data or there are ways that we can actually, uh, for very critical types of data, we can actually have a store and forward mechanism where you don't get to the data until we verify that you actually are supposed to get to that data. Then we will let you get there. So a little bit of a, a security gate, if you will, before people get there. And I'm simplifying it. But fact is, is the, the technology does exist to be able to either be real-time, be able to block, or what is more common. And when I be mean more common, I would say 95% of users more common is after the fact is actually okay. And after the fact is actually generally okay. And actually in a lot of museums as well, in that, you know, you can touch the dinosaur because the reality is, is they got a guard, they're going to pull you out of there, but you might not do that much damage. In a business that is quite a bit different. And I think that's the future of where they go is businesses say, it's not okay for you to touch our dinosaur. It's not okay for you to touch my data in an inappropriate way. I need you to only be able to do what you're supposed to, and and I need I need closer to real time, and that's a lot of the work that we're working on, is how close to real time can we get, while still maintaining the simplicity simplicity of agentless and not requiring things like agents and things in the middle of the technology, which we would require today if you really wanted to be real time. That's that's the future of this really going into that world.
2: Sounds like the force is the solution. Don't you? <laughs> Right. To be
0: with
1: you. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna let you uh, simplify it too much. I want you to get into some of the weeds here, Terry, because as, um, as I was thinking about this a little bit before we started, um, I know there was a mention in, in some of the preparation around open banking and, and I'm uh, very into uh, the, the healthcare space and the health information exchanges And both of those, and I'm sure there are many other examples we can draw upon, but both of those kind of point back to something we touched on earlier, where there's an ecosystem of systems and APIs and vendors and people and users that ultimately determine how and when information should be stored, uh, used, accessed, manipulated, and I'm just wondering how how do we prepare for that? Now it sounds like agentless and and sitting in the middle between all this stuff um, is is a good way to go. But how how do you how do we get to a point where those systems can operate in a way where the data is useful, right? We're not stopping the data because oh you you've left our firewall, you've left our perimeter, or whatever that that that, that line is. So it's still useful, but still safe, right? Yeah. So they, the, the dinosaur is on the move, um, but we still want to protect it.
0: Well, it is that ecosystem, right? I mean, you bring up the right word, right? So it is the ecosystem that comes in. There's, there's no one technology that's just going to say, I do it all, right? So, so if you if you look at let's let's look at a, a healthcare, right? So healthcare is doing more and more to your point of uh, information exchange and others. I'm I'm intimately involved with with a, a number of different pieces right here, particularly around electronic medical records, electronic healthcare systems, and all of that. Um, you know, the Fast Healthcare Interoperability Acts that are going on with APIs and the certification of APIs and all of that. So, when when you look at a a, a the, the the right reference architecture, for example, of what what needs to happen when it comes down to data. Well, there's the regulatory compliance that says there's some very specific things you need to do, and then there's best practice that you also need to do to not be negligent, right? So they'd be very, they're very specific, and then they kind of open it to a little more nebulous, Commonality to be able to say, just do the right things. We're not going to define what they all are. And a lot of regulations will do that. And then there's things like NIST and the frameworks for security that will come out and say, hey, explicitly, here's the things you need to have in place. You need to have a network firewall. So let's talk about network access control. You need to have a web application firewall, API. I'm going to lump them all together, right? But web application firewall, API security, anti-DDoS, anti-bot. Usually those are all kind of coming packaged in different flavors, et cetera. We have one, of course, um, that sits out there that has to be there to be able to protect as i said that that repetitive action front end those apis and applications that in terms of your data do the same thing every single day they allow patients to see records allow doctors to talk to patients all of that sort of stuff that's it's not easy but in terms of data security it's a it's a really good front end and first step to be able to make certain that the the applications are at least doing the repetitive things they're supposed to versus repetitive things they're not supposed to. And then, of course, there's things like identity access management to make sure that Terry really is Terry. And if you want to go deeper into identity access management, there's also encryption, which, in my opinion, encryption is essentially identity access management. If you're allowed to see the data, then yes, you're allowed to see the data. If you're Terry, you can see it. If you're not Terry, you can't. But those two pieces go together. It's that last piece, that last mile, that's the other piece there which is that ability to say, all right, now we've prevented all the normal behavior, all, all of the repetitive behavior. We make sure that the network access is all completely accurate. Our APIs are secured out front. They might be fire APIs, but they're still being secured by a web application firewall. Now in the back end is when I need to have that true visibility and security, and what am I securing back here? In the back end, I still need to monitor all of the things I think I have closed. I still need to know when my apps touch my systems. I still need to know when my APIs touch my systems, Because that's critical because I need to be able to compare when Terry accesses data. When Terry goes in and accesses a set of data, I need to know, does Terry normally access that data? and That's okay for me to just compare Terry to himself, but who's to say that Terry's not normally accessing data, where he's the only one, the only human, who accesses that data. All of his peers, they never touch that data. Instead, only the application and APIs are the only other thing that accesses that data. And then Terry goes in there and he touches that data and he's doing it every single day. What makes Terry so special about him being able to touch that application and API data when none of his peers are doing it. That should be a red flag that kind of bubbles up. He's not doing what his peers are doing. He's doing something different. This This is the behavioral piece that kind of comes into what you put on top of visibility. So as I said, visibility is the key. You have to have visibility on all of it. But once you have visibility, now you can really do interesting things with analytics. And machine learning, and start to learn about the behaviors of the users of your data, particularly in the back end when they're not doing the same thing every day, and compare that to those systems doing the same thing, those people doing different things, and those outliers start to pop up routinely where you can start to find exactly those people, those applications, those APIs, and those other things that are just doing something a little bit different. And likely something against policy, something against regulation, or in some cases, they're just trying to do something good for the company and not knowing any better and yet exposing the company to risk. Taking a database, a, a, a complete export of their database, taking it home for the weekend because they're going to optimize the database and bring it back. Well, lo and behold, their data gets stolen because they took it home over the weekend. They shouldn't have taken that export in the first place. Nobody else ever does. And that's that to me, that's 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 the. That's the, the, the business side of this. When you start to really drill down in deep, deep into it, what are you trying to achieve? You're trying to prevent unusual, anomalous, and certainly bad behavior on your data. But there are all of these pieces of ecosystem that have to come into it. I need to know that my apps are safe and what my apps are doing. So I need to watch that data. I need to know whether uh, you know a, a, a particular user is being shared by multiple other users and whether there's risky behavior in all of that. I need to uh, be able to leverage that information and send that out to something like a service now, so my SOC engineers who aren't database security in, uh, experts can get access to it or Splunk so those people can get access to it. All of that ecosystem is critically important when it comes to a data security platform, which is why you'll see data security platforms effectively saying, we really don't care what the source of data is, we want as much context as possible. Now, I'll I'll leave you with one last example. Even at Imperva, we will bring in our own data from everything we've collected, but we'll bring in our competitors data too. If you have our competitor, awesome, that's great. You've got a data source, bring that data in too, because it's about the, the intelligence, the context, and all of that that comes into it, the source just really shouldn't matter. It's about being able to be smarter and build more information into a machine learning model so that we can really leverage machine learning and analytics the way they're supposed to be built versus going back to the world of, I'm just going to monitor two servers. There's nothing I'm going to learn from machine learning in that there's no analytics that I can build because it's, it's just two servers. It's not, an, it's not enough.
2: Well, I want to use the last few minutes here to even dig a little bit more into that. Like, if you could bring a couple of case studies of how Imperva gets in according to what the the businesses or the industry is, because as you mentioned a few times, not all the data are used in the same way, and not all the businesses are going to need either the same amount or the same quality or even access the data as much as others. So, um, yeah, maybe a couple of case studies if you can.
0: Uh, yeah, so I've, I've got one. Uh, yeah, I've, one of my favorite stories. So it is. It is about Texas. I can't tell you who it is. I'll just tell you that they that they control some of the roads around here. And one of the great stories that that we had here was that they're able to look at you know different types of vehicles and and private information about those vehicles as they as they flow through different areas on the roads. It's a toll road, right? So being able to see different kinds of toll roads through the system. Well, being able to, to understand the data for this this organization meant that what they could do is they could say, all right, well, there's parts of the data that I store, and the, the parts of that data that I store is actually data that really only law enforcement really needs to know about. And then by policy, really, law enforcement was the only person that's supposed to see that data. But really, what ultimately happened was other people within the organization had to manage that data. They have to manage the data that sits in the back end, but they aren't actually supposed to look at that data at all. And so what ultimately happened was by putting in the analytics and giving the visibility and being able to see all the information, what they learned is they they, they learned, number one, that they didn't predict by creating policies, actual policies in the product to, defi- to determine these things. They had corporate policies, but they didn't have physical policies that said, Terry can see this data and Adam cannot it's just something they understood wasn't supposed to wasn't supposed to happen instead what they found was after looking at the data in fact they did have some of their users looking at this data, not just managing the data, but looking at and using the data that were really only law enforcement was supposed to see. It was a violation of that policy. And at the end of the day, what they found was that these users were kind of tracking their significant others and being certain that they said they went to the mall. Yes, they, in fact, went to the mall or they went whatever. It was a, a poor use of of, of what the, of their access, and certainly, and I'm sure there was some, some consequences for that. But the fact is, is it gave this organization that ability to be able to say, hey, look, we now see information we had no idea was going on we knew it wasn't supposed to happen it was a very particular use case and this needed to happen and the same thing is true i want to take you to healthcare for a second this exact same thing exists in healthcare when you think about electronic healthcare systems a lot of healthcare electronic healthcare systems that are out there the platforms that, that hospitals use a lot of times are implicitly trusted and aren't really looked at in the back end But when you start looking at them in the back end, you actually start to find and have the ability now to answer when someone like a regulator comes and says, do you know who's accessing your private data? You can see, yes, I really do know who's accessing my private data. I say it that way because most providers out there today, in fact, don't have that visibility into their most critical asset, which is their electronic medical record system or their EHR system. They have it in the rest of their systems, but that one has always just kind of remained over on its own. And we're trying to close that gap as well. It's all of those kind of gaps where we go into an organization and we talk about what's critical to you. This area is critical. Great. What about all the rest of it? Why is the rest of it not critical? And that's the work that we do with the organization just to talk about how do we get that visibility into the rest of that organization to make certain that someone can really see everything.
1: Yeah, and I want to I want to keep you there for a moment. Terry, as uh, as we get close to wrapping here, but just this, this idea, because you mentioned behavior earlier, and I wanted to maybe touch on that a little bit more as part of what you were just describing. It's not just user behavior. It's not just identity, right? This person does something and and they are who they say they are and they have the right to do what they're doing. And it makes sense for the business that they're doing that that, at the the time and and uh, rate <laughs> that they're doing it, um, but there are you, you mentioned APIs and applications. There are systems that that connect uh, together, certainly in, in uh, healthcare exchange and uh, in open banking and other things we talked about here today. And it, it's that broader view of behavior that I think is really important. And you kind of touched on it in in a couple of your examples, but. How do you and and how does your team help organizations kind of grab that big view of this is what our business looks like. Here's how it runs. This is the behavior we expect between our people and systems and applications and the full ecosystem. And then certainly there's technology that you provide and, and partners that you work with to kind of meet the other side of it. But there's that middle piece as well that says, is what we expect it to do. Here are the controls that we, that we have in place or policies. And then we, we map the technology to that. How how do you, how do you and your team get involved in that to ensure that that full, full set of processes is uh, done properly?
0: Yeah. So I'm glad you asked the question because we, every organization is a little bit different. A lot of organizations are a lot different, right? But, um, Usually, what we begin with is a conversation around the, the driver behind the original discussion of why are we here. Um, I, I would I would say that the majority of organizations that bring us in bring us in first and foremost because they were told they had to because of compliance. That's that's got to be the greatest driver of data security uh, beyond anything else. The only the next closest is an organization had a breach, and so the immediate reaction is talk about all the things we can do not to have this happen again. And that usually only lasts for a few months, but the good staying factor of general data security is regulatory compliance. And you could say it might be a, you know, a a cart before the horse kind of thing. Um, But, you know, you could, you could argue that regulatory compliance only exists with regard to data because there are so many breaches. But then you might say that organizations really only apply their security in place for breaches only because regulatory compliance tells them to do so. There's there's this whole you know interaction between regulatory compliance, security, and what organizations need to do. Some of them do it, some of them don't. Some of them still get breached and get exposed anyway. So, so that's the first conversation that we have. The first conversation that we have is around why are we here? And from that conversation, it helps us lead into the conversations that we'll have about, okay, let's assume that conversation is about regulatory compliance, great. So we understand your regulation is XYZ, GDPR, HIPAA, PCI, PIPADA, whatever it happens to be. It's privacy or industry related, whatever. When, we hear, when I hear HIPAA, I start to say, okay, well then here's the things you're gonna need to do. I know for sure you need to do, you need to be able to track all access to patient data and patient data is all of these 18 different things defined by HIPAA. So Here's all the things we need to track. We need to go find that data and this is the process of doing it. You need to answer these questions and we need to know when these bad things happen on that data, you need to know about it and we'll send that over to to, um, to a a security operating center that will track that down and do instant response. Um, The same thing is true even if they say, okay, this is security, just general best practice security. Well, then again, then there's a process that we'll go through. So it's a consultative practice that we would go through. We would either use our consultants that we have, our, our professional services and organizations, or we would leverage our partners out there in the in the wild that would go out there and, and do that work. But because every organization interprets class or sorry, interprets uh, regulatory compliance a little bit different, there's always going to be these baselines of these are the things that need to get done. So you understand the risk associated with your business where your business is against that piece of regulatory compliance and what you need to do next. And then even though there's that well understood set of things that need to happen, then every organization has their auditor internal or external or otherwise that has their own flavor of the other things they're going to ask. And I'll use you an example of FFIEC compliance. So I talked with one financial services organization. And I asked them, how important is FFIEC compliance with regard to your security program? And the organization said, honestly, we look at it once a once a year, kind of run down some check marks, and if we looks like we kind of everything, we're good. I asked another one about FFAC compliance, and they said our auditor. We have to be very, very careful with our auditor because if we dig in too far into the interface and show them too much, then they start to ask many, many, many other questions. And so we try to give them just exactly what they're looking for and, and, and nothing else because we don't wanna open up a can of worms and, and have them dig in. So even with regard to one particular set of compliance, two organizations have two very different experiences in terms of what it means to their business and how they go about uh, uh, achieving compliance or achieving, you know, a, a, a comfort level in the business uh, with regard to data security in it. Uh, and that's kind of what, what I see is it's it's always a discussion about what the customer needs to see from the technology to get them what they need to uh, to solve audit, audit gap, to solve security gaps and to solve whatever gap that they they brought us in for.
1: It's, it's good you're there because all I want to do is look at the dinosaurs. <laughs>
0: We're
2: done any of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's something that you, you must do. But sometimes if especially if you're working with the dinosaurs, that's really you need to. If you're a paleontologist, you need to access it and, but still yeah. keep it safe. So I think that's that's the thing. And 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 Terry, I remember you say it's not that we don't trust you, it's that we don't. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we don't trust, that's all. <laughs> that's it. That's that i I'll rest my case right here. Now, seriously, great conversation, uh, always entertaining and and is extremely educational. So I hope that our audience took uh, a lot of uh, a lot of good point here, um, Sean. Uh, always exciting.
1: I know. I mean, there, there's so much here, and I mean, just just with the advancements in technology and the interaction with so many people um, and and the amount of data, and, I mean, I was joking a bit of, of how complex it can be, but I mean, if you don't start with a view for what the outcome is that you want to achieve, um, chances are uh, a scramble is, is waiting for you, <laughs> a bunch of chaos. So I think taking an approach up front that says, Here, here's how we run our business, here's how our data is used, and here's why it's important, why we need to protect it, and all the places that it goes that needs to be protected... I think you have a better chance to to uh, to eliminate some of the chaos and uh, achieve the outcomes that you want. And uh, Terry, I'm I'm grateful for you to bring so many good examples, and and hopefully the uh, the audience takes takes some good notes here and and connect with you to uh, to help them with some of those early steps and and throughout the process to uh, help them protect their data. We had a conversation, couple conversations with. Kate uh, Berecki from Imperve as well We're on privacy, which is you can't talk about data without talking about privacy as well. We touched on it briefly here today. I would encourage folks to listen to those conversations too, because it's it's all connected uh, at some point. So, Terry, thanks uh, thanks for taking us to the museum and
0: uh, and uh, doing so safely. <laughs> yes, it's always a pleasure to hang out with you guys for an hour or so. So I appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Thank you very much.
0: We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and the story made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.